0: So good to be back out with everyone this evening. It's good to see everyone that's out. Thank you for coming our way, especially if you're visiting with us. We are excited to have you here. And I hope that our worship has been edifying and encouraging to you all. Uh, If you will, you can take your New Testaments out and turn to Matthew chapter 4. And in just a few moments, we'll be reading verse 5 through 7 in Matthew chapter 4. Tonight, the question that I want us to think about is, are we trusting or testing God? And trust me, you you don't want to end up on the testing side because God does not appreciate being tested. Usually, we're the ones that's being put to the test. We need to give... The answers. We don't need to be testing God and questioning Him as to who He is, why He has done what He has done, and all of those things. Because the reality is, is if we're not trusting in Him and we're not having enough faith, right? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11:6. That's just the first half, the uh, first portion of that verse. And so, this is the question that I want us to ask ourselves this evening as we're studying. Uh, We see here, now we're not going to read the whole context in Matthew 4, uh, but I think you'll kind of see why I just picked out these few verses. And then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's amazing how even Satan, the tempter, can utilize scripture. And that's one thing that we need to be mindful of and careful of, that in our discussions with people, in our interactions, whether it's religious or anything, there's people that will pop out verses and you're like, it kind of might make you do kind of a two-step, like you kind of think back, well, wait a minute, they, they're using a passage to, to back up whatever it is that they're claiming and, and it just doesn't add up. It, it doesn't make sense. And so here we have an instance where Scripture is used for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. As if this would trick Jesus, right? Right? On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And boy, I could really go on and on with different examples of how I have had similar interactions with people, uh, especially regarding doctrinal issues that have arrived, that that's come about uh, from divisions, from denominationalism, you know, teaching certain aspects of salvation versus what we teach. And they'll, they'll take their Bibles and they'll say, well, see right here, it says this, for it is written. And then I turn around and do the same thing. Well, the Scriptures say, for it is written, right? You know, I always think of like Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not will be condemned. That's an easy one to come up with. And yet people will try to turn to Scripture to disprove something that's been authorized by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing how that works. But we can't pit Scripture against Scripture, and Jesus wasn't going to allow that. But in this case, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, Jesus is actually quoting Deuteronomy 6.16 Where it says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Now, at this time, what Moses is doing, he's recounting the struggles that the Israelites were going through as they came out of Egypt. And then when they're walking around, they begin to complain about not having water and this, that, and the other. And so... They weren't trusting in God to take care of them. Instead, what they were doing is they were whining, they were murmuring, they were complaining, and they were testing God. They were trying to force God's hand. Feed us, give us water. You know, you brought us out here to die of starvation and to die of thirst. It was a lack of faith. The children of Israel did not trust God. Why on earth would God help get them out of Egypt? And then turn around and let them die. What a sick and twisted individual that would take for someone to do something like that. And yet, that is not the God that we serve. God was not going to allow them to suffer. He wasn't going to allow them to die from starvation or from thirst. But it was a lack of trust. They were trying to force the hand of God. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's applying the same principle. It's not about the water and thinking to go back to Egypt. That's not what it's about. What it's about is whether or not he could keep Jesus from harm if he jumped off the pinnacle of the temple. Because maybe, just maybe, after fasting for 40 days, he's weak and and dreary, right? How many of us, which I don't know how many of y'all have experienced this, but you just... You feel famished like you haven't ate all day and you just... And so you're kind of in a fog. You can't get your, your thoughts straight. And so maybe that was Satan's mode of attack. He was trying to catch Jesus in a fog and that Jesus would somehow fear falling. But it didn't work because Jesus answered. He said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then again, as we've already mentioned, the devil quoted scripture to make his case. Well, just because someone quotes a passage doesn't mean that what they're saying isn't taken out of context, that that they are not making it appear or make it say something that it does not. Let me give you an example. Go to uh, Romans chapter ten. Actually, no. Let's not do that one. I've used that one before. Let's go to First, First Peter. Second Peter. I'm sorry. Second Peter three. Nope, I was right. First Peter three. <laughs> I should have just stuck with my Romans one. First Peter three. Twenty one. First Peter three. Twenty one. Now, what some people do. Has anyone ever heard the? the idea or the expression that baptism is an outward sign of inward grace. Okay, That's what some people try to make this passage say. Now look at it. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Well, they really don't like that portion of the verse because it really it puts them in a bad predicament. But look... Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But they want to look at, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. See, that is the, this is the outward sign of inward grace of the good conscience. And yet, that is not what that verse says. But people will make that verse out to say that. To try to disprove baptism. So just because someone quotes a scripture doesn't mean that they are applying it correctly. We're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. So the question is, how can we test God? Well, we may end up testing God when we decide to put ourselves in unnecessary danger to see whether or not God will keep us safe. My favorite one on this screen is the second one, and you may see why. But there are some people who actually do this. They will make irresponsible decisions thinking that God will surely rescue them from their stupidity. And what I mean is, like, let me throw one out for you. So this is dealing with financial, right? So you get approved to to either go build a home or to purchase a home for $200,000. We'll just use that term. But instead, they end up fudging the numbers and they go to the bank and they con the bank into giving them a loan for $600,000. Knowing that if they actually were to follow the letter of the law as far as loans go, the bank would tell no, you can't afford that. But in the back of their mind, oh, well, God will take care of this. He'll, he'll take, of my, take care of my financial burdens. And if you don't believe me, watch some of the televangelists. They'll tell you, plant this $100 seed. And then, he'll, and then God will turn around and give you a thousandfold. False teachers, they, they have no shame in their teaching. But some people, they will test God by going out and doing stupid stuff. Thinking, that oh, well, God will rescue me. He, he won't allow things to harm me. What about those uh, snake handler, the snake handler religion? Anybody ever experienced that or watch that on YouTube? I have. Oh, it's interesting. And then they have the nerve to look surprised when they get bit. And then, of course, they get sick because they're poisoned. And then they're shocked that some of them have died. What did they expect? Well, they expected, uh, you go over to Mark 16. Let's look at that just to show you, just to kind of prove the point. They'll go to Mark 16 and they'll continue on in the rest of that text. Mark 16, 17, and 18, where it says, These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons, and they, will speak, and they will speak with new tongues, and they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Well, guess what, Folks. Those signs were temporary. They weren't last, they weren't appointed or given to man for the rest of time here on earth. That was for until that which is perfect has come, 1 Corinthians 13. See, until the perfect revealed Word of God comes to be. But people will turn right here to Mark 16, 17, 18 and will say, well, see, we have these powers. We can speak in tongues. We can handle serpents. We can heal the sick. Is that so? Why do you have handicaps parking <clears throat> spots in your parking lot? What about worrying about everyday life? Let's go back to Mark, uh, Matthew 6. Now, I'm going to read the whole context, but I put up a few verses of the context up on the board. But Matthew 6, starting at verse 25, when we worry about every single day of our life, we show and we prove that we do not rely upon God, that we do not trust Him. When we are constantly worrying, where that there's that always second thought in the back of our minds of why me? Why is this happening? Why do I have to suffer? Why can't it be somebody else? Or I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm not saying that every once in a while that you're not going to have those questions and you may not have those complaints or concerns. But daily life, every single day. Let's read the passage, Matthew six twenty-five. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So get our perspective. What is our perspective? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Absolutely. We just studied not too long ago about our perspective regarding creation. Who did God put in charge to subdue the earth? Mankind. Why would God not provide provisions for His creation? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Has anybody ever accomplished that? You know, science actually proves that stress can cut your life a little shorter. Raises blood pressure, can affect cholesterol, can affect your, it can affect your blood sugar. It can affect a whole lot of things. So stressing out over something is not going to add anything to your life. It's not going to benefit you one iota. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of those. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow, is, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Think about it. After Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They clothed themselves, didn't they? They covered themselves because of their shame. Who provided that covering? God did. Even in the beginning of time. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So what are some of the dangers of, of testing God? Well, some of the obviously the big one is that if we're testing God, we're no longer trusting in Him. And when you don't trust in God, you, you're really on a bad path. You're not on the pathway to heaven. You're not on the straight and narrow path. You cannot say with certainty that you are faithful when you lack trust in Jehovah. When we are testing God, we are no longer submitting to God because things are upon the basis of our whims. God, you need to fit my mold and my mold now. Yeah, imagine how that's going to go on the judgment day. We become irresponsible with our decisions. We see that with false teaching. People are irresponsible in pulpits today, and it's going unchecked. What are we doing about it? This also goes along with that. We use scripture and then we don't apply it correctly. Trusting God does not mean that we need no plans. Now, we have to be careful. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be storing up a bunch of junk, right? That's not what I'm saying. But we need to be prepping and preparing ourselves for eternity. Remember the the virgins, the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish? Five of them, they all brought lamps. But five of them brought extra flask of oil. And five of them did not. And so when they went to light their lamps, what happened? Well five of them had plenty of oil. So when they started running out of oil, they just take the oil and add more oil to their lamps and they could keep burning. But five of them brought no extra. They just utilized the little bit of oil that they had so when their lamps began to burn out, what did they do? Hey, give us some of yours. And so the wise ones were like, no, no. We don't have enough for ourselves and you. You go get your own oil. See, That's the part about being irresponsible is us not being prepared to go to heaven. And we don't take precautions within dangerous situations. And that could be a whole host of things. Not just false teaching within the pulpits, but what about abusive relationships between a husband and a wife or between uh, parents and their children what are we doing about it? A lot of times people would say, oh, well, we just need to stay in our lane. think we'll answer for that if we don't do anything. Here's the reality. When we trust in God, He will take care of us. That is the reality. Let's go to 1 Peter 1. If we're testing God, he, He's not going to take care of us. But if we trust in him, he will take care of us. Here in First Peter chapter 1, I put up verse 5 and 6, but I'm going to start at verse 3 in the reading. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused... Look at this. ...us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So... Keep that us implanted in your mind. Underline it, highlight it, because it's important. He caused us to be born again. Us to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Who are protected, we, the us, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you have been distressed by various trials folks being a christian does not mean or guarantee that you will never have trials that does not what that means what do you do with James 1 and verse 2 through 4 What do you do with that? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And yet there are people who will tell you, point blank, without flinching. They'll do it with a straight face. They'll say, oh, well, you just don't have enough faith. That's why you're suffering. That's why you're going through bad times. Because God God is punishing you for your lack of faith. Oh, really? Well... Why did James write this? Why is Peter saying that we are protected by the power of God? How does God protect us? Now within that realm, I don't know. He's provided providence for us. God's providence is still in effect through today. That's why we have government. For law and order. Because if there was no law and order, there would be chaos. Chaos. So there is still a sense of justice. So when when we have been wronged in some way, if someone has came and broke in your house and stole your generator and you still have the serial number and everything to it, you can report it to the police and then maybe they find it at a local pawn shop and then most pawn shops have cameras and so they check to see who did it. That person gets arrested and then they go to jail. There's still a sense of justice here. And that's just one example for you. But I can't give you all the ins and outs of how how this comes to be. But I've witnessed, I personally know someone who used to be a faithful gospel preacher who comes to this passage and he says that this is the passage as to the reason why he left the faith. Because he did not feel protected by the power of God. The reality is, is that he didn't trust God. That's the reality. Look at Philippians 4 and verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Look at that. For nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, I don't have all the answers. Neither do you. Nobody has all the answers. That's what Paul just told them at Philippi. We don't have all the answers. But the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension, it will guard your hearts. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? If you don't, you're you're just always going to have that victim mentality. It's the never-ending cycle of just constant suffering. And nobody likes going through that. But there's other passages similar to the ones that we just read in 1 Peter 1 and Philippians 4. Where we see that the promise of never having trials, the promise of never having temptations, the promise of never having hardships is never there. The Sermon on the Mount... Jesus said that we're blessed if we're what? Essentially persecuted. If we go through hard times. If we suffer for His name's sake, We're blessed. We have to realize that part of God's plan is that we have to help take care of ourselves. God will take care of us, but we have to be a part in taking care of ourselves. We can't just lay there and just say, God, well, just clothe me, but do nothing. If a man won't work, neither will he what? Eat. So if you're hungry, you better go out and get a job. You better go out and do something. That's just one simple example. Physically, if we're physically suffering... When we're praying to God, we need to be praying in a manner where that he's going to heal us. He's going to use others within our lives, whether it be in therapy or just training. You're just working on your own health, but that you do something about it as well. It's a me problem. It's an I problem. It's not a God problem. Let's look at a few examples before we close. Let's go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Because the people of God have suffered in both Old and New Testament. What happened and what did Daniel do when he was threatened because of his prayer life? Well, we see here in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house... Now in his roof chamber he had windows open toward Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day praying and giving thanks to, before his God as he had been previously doing. When he realized that King Darius had signed that decree when he was tricked into signing that decree because all those governors and satraps came together and they said, hey, we all came to agreement that you need to sign this decree into law so that if anyone prays to anything other than you... Or worships anything other than you, then guess what? They need to be punished. They need to be thrown into the lion's den. And what was Daniel's response? He trusted God. That's what he did. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Look at verse 12. Because they refused. When they were threatened to be thrown into the fiery furnace for not worshiping King Nebuchadnezzar and the golden image that he had uh, put up, they refused. Verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shabrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. And so that just enrages him he gets angry but what did they do they trusted god look at verse 16 through 18 shadrach meshach and abednego replied to the king so this is their response oh nebuchadnezzar Now, how many of us want to hear that? How many of us are willing to stand up and say something similar to that? God will deliver us, right? And and we'll fight for that. But what about if he doesn't deliver us? What if he won't deliver us? They say, we're still not going to worship your false idols. We're still not going to worship you. We're not going to do what you say because we trust God. We believe in Him, we trust Him, and we obey Him. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We have just these last two examples and then we'll be done. When Peter and John were arrested and threatened uh, for preaching the resurrected Lord, what did they do? Well, they trusted God and they continued to preach the gospel. But let's look here at verse 18 through 20. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They said, You can do whatever you want. You can beat us. You can imprison us. We will still continue to preach the gospel. And they suffered through it. What about Paul? Let's look at Acts 25. Acts 25. This is when he is before Festus. In verse 11, Paul is already imprisoned, but he's being threatened with death and continued imprisonment. Verse 11, Paul's response is, If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. So if I've done anything wrong, and I am guilty of whatever crime it is that they are accusing me of... I'm willing to die. But look at this. But if none of those things is true, of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Paul's response is, I'm trusting in God. I'm going to continue teaching and preaching the gospel. I appeal to Caesar because that was the right thing to do in his case, in his instance. He had every right to do that being a Roman citizen. Because if it was up to those Jews, he would have been dead already. So here's the final questions that we need to ask ourselves. Am I testing God whether God will do something for me in the time frame that I desire, that I've designed? Or am I trusting in God that he will work out things in his own way, in his own time? That's what many of us struggle with, myself included. We lack patience. We lack self-control. We want things done, and, and, and we're just we're spoiled rotten, folks. I mean, I can sit here and pull out my phone. I can email people on the, just on the fly. I can text message. I can call people. It, just having a computer in my pocket is dangerous, and it affects our psyche. We've become addicted to this type of behavior and it's affecting our Christianity. It's affecting our love for the brethren because we lack patience with brethren who are suffering. We lack patience with brethren who are struggling in their faith because we think that we should just be able to take the Bible, open it to them, slap them around with it, thump them on the head and say, get right. And that's not what Christianity is about. Our faith doesn't need to be conditioned upon the fact that we are strong in the faith only when things are going right. I want people to be strong in the faith when they are being broken and torn down. As much as I hate to say that, I don't want to see anybody broken and torn down. But I would love to see people filling these front pews hoping and begging and wishing to be with God on this very day while broken and torn down. That's the kind of faith that God's wanting. He's wanting us to trust and rely upon Him wholly. Not upon our possessions. Remember the rich young ruler? He was not this evil wicked man who went around just terrorizing people. He lacked one thing. Folks, that is scary. That's mind-boggling. That makes me try to put a microscope over my own life. Okay, what is my one thing? Because I've got to get rid of it. For many of us, it's pride. But we're so prideful, we won't admit it. So think about whatever it is, that one thing that keeps you from trusting God and keeps you testing God because you will fail that test and that will be a long eternity. I want everyone here to know the blessings of God, to experience them, to be able to go to heaven for forever, to sing praises to our Lord and Savior, to never have to worry No more tears, no more sorrow, complete, total comfort. Will you say the same? Are you here tonight and struggling in your faith? If you're struggling in your faith, know that you are not alone, nobody's perfect. There's no perfect science as to how to get out of the holes that we dig ourselves in. It's just a matter of reaching up and allowing someone, whether it's me or somebody else that's here, to reach down and help you come out. If you haven't put Christ on in baptism, the baptistry is ready. <clears throat> and it should be warm. If not, we'll make it quick. But if you're struggling in your faith, if you've already been baptized into Christ and you are not right with God and you desire and wish to be made right and be reconciled back to God, allow us to pray with you and for you. Let us serve you and let's get you back right. Let's put you to work. The harvest is plenty, and we need more workers. We need more faithful people who's willing to trust in God. Let's get out of our own way. Let's trust God. And then God will sort out all the other ins and outs and all the innuendos that's in our lives. It's not about perfection. It's about faithfulness. If you're subject to our public invitation, won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing the invitation song.